you've lost me. Damn it. I told myself, Claire, I literally told myself, Tina, you are not going to try and imitate Claire's accent. You're not going to do it. You're not doing it. <laughs> literally <laughs> within 30 seconds of talking to you, I tried. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're talking about British literature with author and podcaster Claire Hanscom. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest reads, and share some of our favorite British books. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media or both. It truly helps us connect with other book lovers. Hey, listeners. Today, we are very excited to welcome our special guest, Claire Hanscom. Claire is a British writer who moved to Washington, D.C. in 2012 ostensibly to study for an MFA, but really because of an obsession with the West Wing. She's a bookseller at East City Bookshop, the author of two novels, and the host of the Brit Lit Podcast, a show about news and views from British books and publishing. Claire, welcome to Book Talk Etc. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Yes, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Yes, I think you are now our third guest. So it's always a a special day when we've got a, a third party to the mix. It's always fun to talk about books with fellow book lovers, so it's great. (laughs) Oh, I know, and we can do it for hours. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start things out how we always do with our loving lately, and Claire, we will give you the honor of going first. So what I'm loving lately is crepes or pancakes, depending what part of the world you come from. A big tradition in the UK is Pancake Day, which happens on what we call Shrove Tuesday, which is also known as Fat Tuesday or Madika in French. Because plot twist, I'm also half French, which confuses the whole Britlet brand, but I can't really help that. Um, and so <laughs> uh, on Pancake Tuesday, uh, Pancake Day, as we call it, People's Facebook feeds fill up with their kids, you know, making pancakes and flipping them because they are more like crepes. Um, They're a slightly different twist on it. So I use my mum's recipe and I have people over and I have them bring a topping like cheese and ham or jelly and fruit sauce or Nutella and banana, my own favorite. And I use my mum's recipe, which is very simple, although I only have it in European measurements. So sorry about that. Well, I'm kind of not that sorry because I do believe in European measurements, but um, it's three yes. eggs, 250 grams ones. of flour, half a liter of milk and a splash of vanilla essence. And then you butter the pan every four or five crepes and you have to make sure that they're thin, although not too thin because you want them to be able to bear the weight of you know, all the stuff. I think the original purest (laughs) French crepes you only have with sugar. And so you don't need them to be able to bear the weight of Nutella and bananas. But that's the way that that's kind of the hybrid of all the different traditions that I've landed on. It was really fun. I love having people over to do that. It's a really easy way to host. And also it's really, they're really easy to make. Like they're, they're so easy. And I just think, why am I only doing this once a year? I need to be doing this once a week at least. So yeah, that's my loving lately. 
Those that sound sounds yummy. fun. And I didn't know you can have a savory version with ham and cheese. I'm like, that sounds like kind of, <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> well, so technically, now we're getting really technical, but technically they're called galette if they're, if they're savory. Um, and I leave out the vanilla essence for those. Don't know if anyone can oh, right. tell the difference, mm-hmm. but that's kind of my mental nod to it. These are technically savory. Mm-hmm. But then my friends were like, we're Americans. Give us all the sugar. We need them. We need them <laughs> so then we switch pretty fast. Yeah, that sounds about right. Did you say that's a family recipe or is that something that people could Google? Um, it is a family recipe, the one that I use, but I'm not sure exactly okay. where it came from. And you can find a recipe pretty easily, but I'll make sure that you guys have it so you can share okay. it. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> sounds that good. That would be great because those sound really good. Well, let me tell you about my loving lately. It's very different <laughs> from from yours, but it is a TV series that you can binge in one evening and it's pretty new. So I was recently looking for something to watch and came across Wolf Like Me on Peacock and I had seen it on social media. I knew it starred Isla Fisher and I'm like, all right, let's see what this is about. And I was like, let me just play one episode in the background and all of a sudden cut to me like being completely engrossed in what was happening. So I really like Isla Fisher. I didn't know I like her as much as I did when I was watching this show, but she plays Mary, who is a very quirky woman with a devastating secret. And you're like, all right, what what secret could it be? You can tell that she's like really grappling with something going on. And they have a funny, kind of dangerous, but a funny meet cute. And she meets single dad, Gary, who is played by Josh Gad. And they have a little bit of a a friendship going on and they both share their baggage. And then you, you think, Just when the show is going to turn into a run-of-the-mill romantic comedy, things take a very dark turn. And by the end of the second episode, I'm telling you, you won't be able to stop watching because you're like, (laughs) I I have to know how this finishes. And and, uh, will they get together or won't they get together? And there's definitely no easy answer. It's also set in Australia, which I quite liked. I thought this was unexpected and a bit genre-bending. And it's filled with dark humor. Definitely my kind of show. It's only about six episodes or so, so you could easily just watch it. And the story could end here, but I'm curious to see if they'll pick it up for a second season. But if you're looking for something a little bit different that's pretty entertaining, check out Wolf Like Me on Peacock. Yes, that sounds good. Adding it to my TV list that you always add Mm -hmm. ideas for me. (laughs) I do like to sneak Uh, in a, a good show now and again. Yes, I know. I'm trying to. But I'm still recovering from Love is Blind because, man, that was such a good binge. Uh, Yeah, I need to get into something else. That was good. Do you watch... Do you watch a lot of shows, Claire? Like, do you have a show that... Oh, well, West Wing. Oh, yeah. Um, I... Yes, I love the West Wing with all my heart, mind, and possibly soul, although that might be slightly blasphemous. Um, It changed (laughs) my life in lots of ways. And actually, it's kind of what inspired me to start writing again because... I just love Aaron Sorkin's writing. I think it's so just poetic and it, I don't know, I can wax lyrical about this forever. So I, this is not a West Wing podcast. So yes, I love the <laughs> West Wing. Uh, I also, I am a big rewatcher of comfort shows. I rarely find shows I love as much as I loved my OG shows. So mm. I recently did a whole rewatch of Friends, although I stopped right before the end because it gets really sad and difficult emotionally when they're all starting to leave and I I can't deal with it because I was supposed to be watching it for comfort and I'm now (laughs) re-watching Gilmore Girls which I have only ever watched through once and hadn't watched for like at least a decade so that's kind of that's been fun to re-watch but yeah I'm trying to think what what I've watched that's new recently and I 
really can't come up with anything. I think I'm just quite emotionally tender with the whole pandemic and everything. And I never know what they're going to do to my emotions, like how they're going to play with my emotions. Yeah. And so at least if it's an old show, I know where I'm going to cry. I know where I'm going to laugh. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just I think I like the safety of that. So with newer shows, I'm just never really sure that I can trust them, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, (laughs) there's something to that. I could watch Friends a million times. Like I've seen them all and could see them again. Anytime it's on, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm watching this now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Renee, what do you have for us? Okay, well, this week I am bringing Grande Lash MD Lash Enhancing Serum. I was very skeptical about this. It was recommended at a spa appointment that I was at. I think I was getting a facial and complaining about my eyelashes. And so this is a serum that promotes longer, thicker lashes, and it's cruelty-free. And I am happy to report this actually works. I'm shocked. And it didn't take long to start working. I mean, I think I did use it every night for the first week or two, and then I kept forgetting, and I noticed a huge difference. And I still use it maybe every other night. So I like it. I like, I don't have any stinging. I don't have any eye dryness. I, I really put it on and don't notice anything. And I do use it at night. So that was the Grande Lash MD Lash Enhancing Serum. Yes, I am a big fan of that as well. And this is my reminder to reorder because I used it years ago. I really liked it. And it worked the best of all of the lash serums I've tried. I did try this one from Dime Beauty that I don't like. I feel like it did nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry to, to Dime, <laughs> but it did nothing. Whereas Grande Lash, literally, like I would have people ask, like, wait, are those your real eyelashes? Like, what's going on? Cool. And my yeah. eyes are super sensitive too. And they did not bug me. It didn't do anything. Because sometimes I hear it can change your eye color or stain your lids. I did not have any of that with Grande right. Lash. So thanks for the reminder. I, I did see. Pick some up again. Yes, I did see that they make a brow serum oh. too. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that were, I bet it works. I'm, I'm tempted, very tempted. To give that, I'm tempted to give that a try. <laughs> brows are very big right now. And I don't, as you can tell, I don't have makeup on today. You probably can't see, but I don't have very many brows. So any help I can get, I'm like, mm, I'm tempted. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Well, well, you know, maybe, we love- we'll, maybe we'll get some and try it and report back. Okay. Okay. You know what the research, right? For the podcast. Like, yes. I feel like now I should try these different brands because I'm like, maybe it's awesome and we all need to know about it's, it. Right. Exactly. All right. all right. Fine. End of beauty corner. That's enough for that. Um, <laughs> uh, Claire, do you want to <laughs> share your latest read with us? Yeah. So my latest read is an arc of a romance novel coming out next month called Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman. And it's about a reporter whose career takes off after she wrote a notorious celebrity profile of a very hot and famous actor. So she has now got she's had a couple of books of essays published basically off the back of this interview. Although we don't really know what the big deal about the interview is, why it's different from a run of the mill interview until fairly late in the book. But 10 years later, she's asked to do another piece on him and kind of follow up from the original interview. So they meet again. Fireworks ensue. It's a romance novel. You can probably deduce things from that. And yeah, fireworks also ensued the first time too. And we know that from the beginning. We don't exactly know what went down. We know we don't exactly know obviously what's going to happen this time. So it's kind of a it's a bit of a mystery. It's got a split timeline then and now. I love books about Hollywood. My first novel was about a writer and an and an actor with kind of a love story. And so 
I love, I just, it's just catnip to me. People say like, this book's about Hollywood. I'm like, I'll take it. Um, even <laughs> slightly outside of my genre, I will tiptoe towards thrillers. I will tiptoe towards genres that I'm not that into. If, if there's Hollywood, I'm like, I'm there. So yeah, he's definitely a hot actor. We know that. She <laughs> tells us that several times. And it's not a beating us over the head with it so much as a, like, I'm just making sure, reader, that you understand how hot this guy is. I'm like, got it, got it. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if he's based on anyone real. I don't know celebrities well enough or current celebrities well enough to be like, ah, she's clearly based him on this guy. I don't know that for sure, but it is really fun and it's well written. And I think it dealt with issues of fame and what fame does to you and the sacrifices you have to make. And one of the things that the writer wrestles with is you made me famous or you made me successful through your work. And she also kind of helped him through her work and like, how does that impact their relationship? And if they do get together, is it going to mess other things up? And is it worth it? And all that kind of stuff. So it is interesting. It explores fame. Uh, it doesn't get into cliches, though, I, I didn't think, at least, although I'm not in Hollywood, so I could be wrong. But yeah, the characters felt very real. And they didn't just feel like, you know, placeholder celebrity, placeholder reporter. Um, yeah, and there were some pretty hot moments, too. So that's funny. You should ask by Alyssa Sussman. Sounds good. And when does this come out? Do you know? Yes, April 12th. Yeah, I think I have a galley of it. I remember the cover. It's pink and red, I believe. And I also love a book about Hollywood. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could be yeah. talked into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that might play well on audio. I have an arc too, but I think I may wait and try out the audio. Yeah, I could see it working. But yeah, it has it has articles, kind of newspaper articles and stuff, which might be fu- might be great on audio. I'm mm-hmm. not totally sure though. It's hard to know. If they have two narrators, that might really play well. But yeah, one, I don't know. I'm going to file it away in the audio TBR. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. The very long audio TBR list. (laughs) Well, let me tell you about my latest read. It actually ties very well. It's very Hollywood. And it is Will by Will Smith. I absolutely love this book. And even though it's over 400 pages, I finished in a couple of days. And I did listen to this. And I definitely recommend the audio because Will narrates. And obviously, he absolutely nails it. And there's a little bit of rapping in there as well, which I wouldn't think on the surface that I would enjoy. But it was really good. It was like, anyway, he was rapping a part of his story. Mm -hmm. And I found this to be a true autobiography in that it goes from his very beginning, early days, all the way through present day. And honestly, there's not a ton that he holds back. I know him as an actor, of course, and I was a big fan of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air back in the day. But I will say, I don't think you need to be a Will super fan, though, to enjoy this because he shares a ton of universal nuggets of wisdom that he's learned along the way. And he gets a little bit philosophical. It's a little bit L.A. and kind of out there in certain aspects, especially toward the end, but I didn't mind. I I really liked it. So we start with his career as a rapper and how he, along with DJ Jazzy Jeff, were trailblazers in a certain style of hip-hop. And they had a couple of just things fall into place, and they actually got really, really popular, and they won a ton of awards and still are some of the first people to have done certain things. And obviously, I'm not super into music, so I don't know what they're referencing, but they were very successful. And Will had no acting experience, but he was at this party. He ended up meeting this producer and basically got hired to be the lead for this show, The Fresh Prince. And that's basically how he kicked off his career. And he talks about, he he comes from, a his father was in the military 
And he talks about his drive and how he had this singular goal of becoming the world's biggest movie star. And he basically did that. And he shares a lot about, you know, this number one and a lot of the stats and things like that. So I really didn't mind how much confidence he had. I have heard that some people find him arrogant, you know, in the in the text, but I'm like, eh, it's it's his memoir. So it didn't really bother me. I actually thought though he's very aware of himself. He talks about being a people pleaser, about his work ethic and how he, you know, basically works the hardest in the room or tries to work the hardest in the room. And he kind of comes to these realizations that what is working for him may not be working for his family. He kind of breaks that down as well. This was written with the help of Mark Manson, who is the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And once I figured that out, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can kind of see that makes sense with the life lessons learned that that kind of tied it in. I thought this was pretty raw, though, and and actually inspiring. I want to get a print copy. It's one of those books where I want a copy for my shelves. I want to highlight because there were actually things in there that kind of inspired me. I will say, if you like celebrity memoirs, this is a good one, and his career is pretty incredible. This book was Will by Will Smith. It's not often that a memoir, I think, for me, makes you want to highlight, or I should say maybe a celebrity memoir, because I don't read a lot of those, and I know you do. So what made you pick this up? I had heard it was good on audio, and I didn't even realize this. It was also add-on for Book of the Month because I was like, I had Googled, I don't know, I was going to buy the print copy, and I was like, oh, look. And then I saw it was a part of that. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll add it to a box down the line. But he, I don't watch a ton of movies. I'm not a movie buff, as we know, but... I did watch a lot of movies in the early 2000s because I was kind of in that senior in high school phase and I we had nothing else to do, I guess. There was <laughs> no social media yet, so or, or maybe there was, but we did a lot of, we watched a lot of movies. And so I've seen a lot of his and it actually made me want to go through and like watch some of like I Am Legend and The Pursuit of Happiness and even The Fresh Prince. And I want to watch the new reboot of Fresh Prince. I heard it's decent, so. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. When you were talking, I have, so I have a quick question for each of you. Very quick. Is there any celebrity memoir that has not been written that you would like to read? And I immediately, okay, first person that came to my mind was Oprah. Oh. So what do you, yeah. what would each of you say? I can't believe she doesn't have one. I, that she, I don't think she had, no, she doesn't have a memoir. I think you're right. Yeah. No, I'm talking a memoir, not you know, she has her other, she has her books, but they're more where she includes other people's wisdom along with her own. I want a whole Oprah memoir. I but agree. she Absolutely. writes herself. Yes. What about you, Claire? Did I put you on the spot? Is there any celebrity memoir that hasn't been written yet that you would like to read? I love this question because I actually have thought about this quite a bit. I'm sorry. I'm very single-minded with my pop culture loves and things like that. I need a memoir by Aaron Sorkin, ASAP. But actually, oh. even more than that, I want a memoir by Bradley Whitford, who played Josh in The West Wing. Um, so make of that <laughs> what you will. He's actually a really good writer. He wrote some of the episodes himself, a couple of the episodes in the post-Sorkin years. And I, yeah, I would read anything he writes slash would. Well, anyway, no, I'm going to stop there with waxing lyrical. Um, I also, sorry, this is something I've thought about a lot, so I can talk for a long time, but I also have read many of the memoir, the White House memoirs from the Obama days, like many of the staffers mm-hmm. have written a book, but John Favreau has not. He was like one of oh. the main speechwriters, if not the chief speechwriter. And I mean, I think he's great. 
And I would love his take. I mean, now it's a bit longer ago, so maybe maybe the mm-hmm. moments passed, but I would definitely read something that he writes. And he actually used to talk about writing a show that was a bit West Wingy. And I think had things not unfolded the way they did over the last few years and had they not started Crooked Media, that might have been a direction that his life would have gone in, which I would have loved to have watched something, you know, written by someone who actually lived that stuff. We'll have to wait a few a little bit longer, I guess. Those are good ones. Yeah. And I really like John Favreau as well. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'll I'll take those. I don't have any off the top that comes to mind. The immediate one that I thought though that I wanted to say I'm so excited to read is Finding Me by Viola Davis. And that one comes out in oh, April. Yeah. So not too long now. All right. Well, that was a fun aside. Um, Renee, what was your latest read? Yes, I do have a latest read I would like to tell you about. And that's The Unsinkable Greta James by Jennifer Smith. And this is a pretty new release. I picked this up because I have read her before. This is her adult debut novel. So this is about an indie rock star named Greta. In the very beginning, we know that her mother has died suddenly and she's at a concert and goes to perform just before the launch of her high stakes sophomore album and she freezes. She has, she kind of falls apart on stage. Of course, the footage quickly goes viral and she stops playing. Her career is in jeopardy. And in the meantime, her father and brother are also dealing with her mom's unexpected death. And her brother asks her to go on the cruise with their dad that he had planned with their mom for their 40th wedding anniversary. So she decides to go. The cruise is to Alaska. The interesting thing to note is that Greta's father and herself do not have a very good relationship. It's very tense. He is not supportive and has never been supportive of her career in music. And she's very successful. So he did come across as quite jerky throughout the story. Most of the story does take place on this cruise ship, which I loved. Between those two reconnecting or not, their best friends go on the cruise. So you've got a whole bunch of supporting characters. And then you have Ben, who Greta meets on the ship. And Ben is an author who also has quite a bit of baggage that he is bringing to the potential relationship that these two might have. They're very much an opposites attract, but this isn't really a romance story. This is really a almost like a, a quiet family drama slash potential romance. I loved the aspects of that. I did listen to this. So I combined print and audio and the audio narrator was really good. However, the only time I I found myself binging this was when I was reading on my Kindle. So there was something about the print that kept me so invested in the story. And when I was trying to figure out why, the only thing I could come up with was the way the narrator brought to life Greta and her dad, they sometimes came across as more unlikable and annoying. But when I read them in print, they were fine. And so that's my only takeaway on why I preferred the print over the audio. So if you like stories set on cruises, the Alaskan setting was phenomenal. The way the excursions they went on, the oh, it was so atmospheric. The details 
I highly, highly recommend trying that just for this. And if you like music, definitely this would be for you. I find I think this would be a great in-between thrillers, sort of. Or if you are potentially heading into kind of a a little bit of a book slump and you're looking for something that's just an enjoyable read, but with substance and something that you can read quickly, I definitely think you should give this a try. And that was The Unsinkable Greta James by Jennifer Smith. I'm glad you tried that one. I think you brought it to the show and I was like, this sounds Yes, like I did. Number. That's right. I did bring in this as a shelf edition. I get so happy when we actually read our shelf editions. I'm like, wow. I know. <laughs> Icons. <laughs> I know. I know. This one, I think is being compared to Songs in Ursa Major a little bit. And I do think, uh, I loved Songs in Ursa Major. And that was a five-star for me. And this would be a four-star. So I do think if you liked one, you would like the other. And I feel like Ursa Major was a little darker in that kind of tracks that you would like that one more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. There was a little bit more depth and a little bit more romantic, bittersweet drama in songs in Ursa Major than in this one. Yeah, I've seen The Unsinkable Greta James. I think it's all over Instagram. I don't think I've seen it on BookTok, which that's a whole other conversation, like the different books you see on the different (laughs) platforms. Oh, for sure. But I feel like I've seen it. And was it a book of the month? Maybe that's where I've seen it too. Oh, maybe. Was it, Tina? I'm not sure. I have seen it around a little bit. Yeah. It, it's quite. It's on Instagram quite a bit. Let's transition into book talk. All right, Claire, I have the first question for you is a little embarrassing, but I want you to explain to our listeners, what is BritLit? So BritLit, how I define it, is books by British authors. You could extend it to authors who live in the UK and might be from other nationalities too. But the UK is what I sense you're asking me about because it's a little bit complicated. So the full name of the UK is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We could argue whether it should include Northern Ireland, but right now it does. And so Great Britain is the landmass that is England, Scotland and Wales. And then the United Kingdom includes that landmass, Great Britain, and then also Northern Ireland. There are also lots of little islands around like Guernsey, which you probably know if you've read the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is one of my favorite books ever. Guernsey, Jersey, which you might know if you've read um, Just Haven't Met You Yet by Sophie Cousins, which also was really fun. Uh, But then the Isle of Man, the Isle of Wight, all these little, little islands. And they are part of Well, some of them are part of the United Kingdom, some of them are not, uh, but they are all part of what's called the British Isles, as is Ireland, um, the Republic of Ireland, well, the whole whole landmass that is the Republic and Northern Ireland is part of what's known as the British Isles. So, yes, there's England, Scotland and Wales in Great Britain, plus Northern Ireland equals the United Kingdom. There's no adjective to mean from the UK there's only British, which technically really only means from the, the landmass that is Great Britain. I'm waving my arms around, which doesn't work on a podcast. But <laughs> it's just, I'm visualizing the map and I realize it's complicated. So it's not a stupid question at all. Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel better because I'm like, I know it's a complicated answer, but I wanted to make sure that we had our, had our facts straight, according to Claire, before we jumped into it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, at this point, I do think our readers know what kind of books that Renee and I like to read, but what is your preferred reading type? 
Yeah, so this has changed a bit over the last few years. I want to want to read literary fiction. I still get excited about the books that I would have been excited about five years ago. But then when I actually go to pick them up, I'm not really in the mood for them. (laughs) So I think it's pandemic brain, could be other things too, but I've mostly been reading romance novels, contemporary young adult, and some literary fiction. If it's short and also basically if there's lots of white space on the page, if there's lots of dialogue, short sentences, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing sort of long flowery language isn't for me right now, but it has been in the past. And I love, you know, writers like Colin McCann who just write incredibly beautiful sentences, but my brain just isn't quite there at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I hope to return to being that kind of reader just because I know that I loved that kind of writing and I'd like to love it again. But yeah, right now it's got to grip me from page one. If I see chunks and chunks of paragraphs with no dialogue, I'm like, nah, this is not going to work for me right now. Also, uh, nothing with grief. That's my, that's one of my, my things right now. And I also find that tends to be in everything. And this is another one of my bugbears, a lot of romance novels it looks like they're going to be nice and fluffy. And then it turns out that the character is battling the grief of their mother. And I'm like, do we, do we have to do this? I just wanted to read a nice love story. So yeah. And then also I'm the go-to person at the bookshop for feel good reads. My colleagues kind of laugh at me because they consider a feel good read. It's totally tragic, but it has a happy ending. They consider that feel good. Whereas I'm not, I, I wouldn't consider that a feel good read. And actually there's a term that is used in, in British, in the British book world called uplit, um, as in uplifting literature which is basically books where people are kind to each other and where there's friendship at the heart of it and community at the heart of it. And I love those kinds of books. And I'm the one that is often trying to recommend those books. So yeah, I like something a little bit funny, but not trying too hard to be funny. That's a fine line. (laughs) Thank goodness we brought you on because we, Renee and I, as a I could not think of one book that I've read recently that probably would be considered uplit. (laughs) That's really sad. (laughs) It's really sad. I'm like, wow, a feel-good book that is just generally a joy with no grief. I'm like, that would be tough for me. So I'm glad that the patrons of the bookstore have you to turn to because I I do find especially readers that aren't like, you know, crazy readers like the rest of us where we're reading however many books a year, their casual readers might really appreciate those sorts of titles. And I'm always like at a a complete loss <laughs> if someone were to ask me for a book that would make them feel good. Yeah. And sometimes in Uplit, there is grief and there is something darker, but it's not it's dealt with in such a way that you still feel like you're being hugged. Often, like mm-hmm. the first book that was kind of called one of these books was Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, actually. And I actually, at this point, would not hand it to someone who wanted a feel good read just because yeah. it does go there pretty darkly. But she does transition out of that. And there's a lot of hope in it as well. So they don't have to be completely devoid of grief mm-hmm. to be uplit. But personally, for me, when it's a romance novel, I'm like, I'm not in this to read about your deep emotional struggles. I'm in this to read a nice, warm love story. So <laughs> Good. Okay. Good. Thank you. Okay, Claire, let us know, how do you stay up to date on the trends in British literature? Yes, that's a great question. We all love podcasts here. And so podcasts <laughs> are definitely a way that I do that. There's a podcast called What Page Are You On? which is two British girls who both have been insiders in the publishing industry in some way. And they chat about all kinds of things. They, they've pivoted to interviewing more authors recently. And I'm almost a little bit sad about that because I liked it when they just kind of gave their takes on the British book industry. But they talk a lot about things they're re- excited to read. And, you know, they had a really interesting episode on Sally Rooney, but they didn't talk about her book so much as they talked about 
the publicity campaign and why did she get this campaign and, and what they think about it as a marketing campaign. So that was a particularly interesting episode because Sally Rooney, for as big as she is here, is much bigger in the UK even. Like there were people lining oh. up. And it was, it's, yeah, it's Sally Rooney fever. Uh, another podcast I really like is the Book Club Review where they talk about books. So they talk about it from the angle of what did my book club think about this book? Does this make for a good book club book? There are lots to discuss. And it's a very thoughtful, intelligent podcast. And they talk not necessarily about the latest reads, but because it's a British-based podcast, eventually, you know, you will hear more about the books that are bigger in the UK. So that's another really good one. I have a really well-curated Twitter feed for my, my podcast has its own Twitter feed. And so the people I follow from that are like publicists and certain magazines that do roundups of books, things like that. And I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for readers, and some of them are UK-based. Like the Fiction Cafe Book Club is one that I'm in, which is UK-based. And so, obviously, it's the internet, so it's international as well, but mm -hmm. it still has that angle where it's more books, you know, set in the UK or via UK authors. And then The Guardian, has the newspaper, has a really good book mm -hmm. section. They do roundups, they do interviews, they do all kinds of things. And then from the kind of even more insider perspective is The Bookseller, which is the weekly magazine that's kind of like Publishers Weekly. They have a really well-organized section, upcoming books, and it's really easy to see what the big titles are going to be because they have editor's picks and ones to watch and things like that. Honestly, I kind of long for Publishers Weekly to be organized along similar lines because I find the bookseller really easy to navigate and to, to figure out what I should be paying attention to. Yeah, so that's just some of the ways that I, that I keep track. I've heard of The Guardian, but everything else, that's new to me. So, oh, I'm, I'm excited because I like to stay somewhat on top of a lot of the British books, especially British crime thrillers. That's kind of my, I just love to see what's coming out because I do think a lot of great British crime fiction can be new and fresh. Yeah, The Guardian, Guardian does a monthly roundup with the best thrillers this month. Um, okay. So that would be a good place for you to to look for sure. Yes. All right. I have a question based on something you mentioned, which was Sally Rooney and her popularity there. Are there any other books or authors that are super popular in the UK that you would say are not as popular here? Yes, there are lots. Is the answer to that A lot. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Give us a feel. It's very interesting. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to come on the podcast. One of the reasons I like to talk about Britain in general is that a lot of books that are huge in the UK come over and are just not they just don't make a splash for whatever reason well i mean i would hazard a guess the reason is marketing dollars um but mm -hmm. <laughs> um and yes and then there are also authors that aren't published here at all or that's you can get on ebook but not as paperbacks or whatever but we will talk about how to get around that so <laughs> so i know this book is popular here but in the uk it is off the charts popular is the thursday murder club by richard osman um mm. and and there are some there's a follow-up novel as well he is super famous in the UK. He was on a TV show that was really popular. And so, you know, among authors, there's some grumblings about that's the real reason the book's doing well. And there's, there were also some grumblings recently that his publisher paid to put him on the number one bestseller spot in one of our more popular bookshops, which I have to say, I knew there were shenanigans in British books, but, <laughs> or in books Ooh. generally in, pub, in the publishing industry. But I didn't know that you could make how that you were top if you're, you know, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But yes, uh, there are some authors, some like, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't mind the term chiclet. I know that some people find it offensive. I, I think it's fine. Um, but those kinds of authors are often, I think because they're often quite culturally specific, they don't come over as much. So one author I really love is Lindsay Kelk. 
if you like Sophie Kinsella, if you like Barry McFarlane, you will probably enjoy Lindsay Kelch. She has the same kind of humor. And they are published in the in the US, but I think she's much bigger in the UK. Her first series, the series that kind of launched her career, was a load of books called I Heart. So I think that was I Heart New York, and then there was I Heart various places. And that's what made her famous. But she writes standalones as well. And she also has at least one podcast, if not more than one. And she's really fun to follow on, on Twitter and stuff. And she's re- she's remained incredibly British. She's lived in LA for several years and she lived in New York before that. But she is like, I am impressed by how <laughs> British she still is in her just way of thinking and way of writing and stuff. And then somebody else I interviewed actually on the podcast, Millie Johnson. She writes... I would probably call it women's fiction. Uh, Her current one is called Woman in the Middle, which is about caring for your kids and your parents when you get to a certain stage in life. And she is really fun and really warm and lovely. I interviewed her a year and a half ago when she wrote a Christmas book. And she is huge in the UK. People love her books. But yeah, she just, I'm not even sure that, I know some have been published here as as eBooks, but I'm not even sure they've been published as paperbacks here. And then Another thing too is a lot more Irish authors are popular in the UK because I think it's a smaller jump culturally from the island to the UK than from Ireland to, you know, Ireland, Ireland as opposed to American Irish, which is another conversation we could have. But um, <laughs> Irish books don't often don't translate over or aren't published here. And so there's a author called Marion Keys who is super popular. And at the moment, I think she has three books in the top 50. She has a brand new book come out called, again, Rachel. And her publishers just pulled out all the stops marketing wise and marketing dollar wise. And so I think that that probably translated into getting all her books tops of everyone's consciousness. So yeah, that's just a few, but there are many. Did you mention a book that I know you mentioned Lindsay Kelk and do you have a book recommendation of hers? That's very popular there that maybe we should know about? Her I Heart series is the most popular one. So it's I, I Heart, Heart New York is the first one, but they're probably okay. about 10-ish years old now. Her most recent one was her first ever hardback. So it's okay. kind of a vote of confidence as well. And it's a loose retelling slash based on Cinderella. Uh, okay. On a night like this, that's what it's called. Um, oh, it's got a really pretty cover. I don't know if it's a hardback here actually, but it was a hardback in the UK. Okay. And yeah, she's really fun. I really like her her writing. I have heard of Marion Keys. I haven't read her. I know I have a copy of her book, The Grown Ups. Ha- okay. So have you read that one? I haven't read any of her stuff. Okay. She's definitely on my list of people to get to, but I okay. haven't got to her yet. Okay. Yeah. It sounded really good. There are some books that are published in Britain that we can't get here. And I'm having an experience with that right now, which I'll tell you ladies about. I know everyone is so sick of me talking about Sharon Bolton, but I mean, I'm (laughs) going to have to say one more thing. Her upcoming book, which I've been waiting eight years for, is part of the Lacey Flint series. Book five is being published in May. It's called The Dark. And I thought for sure Miniature Books publishes her in the US. And I was researching, I was trying to get a copy. I ended up messaging her and I've communicated with her a little bit in the past. And she was nice enough to respond and said that she does not have a U.S. publisher for that book yet, which I'm I'm shocked by. So I know how I'm going to order it. And that's through Book Depository. Can you tell us a little bit about Book Depository if you know much about it? And if is there any other ways for readers here to order books that are published in the U.K. but not here? 
Yes. And I'm very glad you asked that question. Book Depository is owned by Amazon, which most people or a lot of people don't realize. I won't get on my soapbox, but I work in a bookshop. So you can probably guess what I think about Amazon. Um, So I try and avoid them as much as possible. Just not to say I've never used them because sometimes I'm just desperate (laughs) and it's the only place to get things. But the number one place I tell people to go is blackwells.com. Blackwells is a small academic leaning chain of bookstores in the UK. However, they have just been bought by Waterstones, which is the biggest, maybe I shouldn't say biggest, but which is one of the biggest chains in the UK. So I'm nervous that the international shipping thing is going to go away because Waterstones don't do a good job of it. But for now, blackwells.com is a great place to go. When you look up a book, the price you see includes shipping. So I can't tell if shipping is free as such, but it certainly isn't expensive. And because books are cheaper in the UK anyway, once you add shipping, it still ends up being the same price often as it would just to buy the book here. So yeah, blackwells.com. I also really like them because they have a good affiliate. So just throwing that out there in case you need need that information. So yeah. And then, but yeah, book depository as well. Sometimes if I'm desperate, I'm currently, I started a series and I want to read book two, but they changed the covers and I want my covers to match. And the only place (laughs) I can find the matching cover is book depository, but I can't quite make myself hit by. So I I know the struggle. There's also a website called wordery.com as in W-O-R-D-E-R-Y.com. And you can sometimes get books that are harder to find in general and international books there. And I think shipping is free. So those are some of my tips. But yeah, if if listeners have others, I'd love to hear them. But yeah, Blackwells is definitely where I go. And they, they ship them in sort of envelopes that protect the book reasonably well. That's also important to me because I, I like my books to look good when they come. So, and they <laughs> usually arrive within sort of 10, 10 days, two weeks. How do you feel about US covers versus UK covers? Because I know a lot of us, I don't know about you, Tina, but I tend to think that the UK covers are better. And I have mm-hmm. ordered, actually, I just ordered for myself in December a copy of Bewilderment, and I ordered it from Blackwell's because the UK cover was, oh, it's striking. I love to pull it off my shelf and just look at it. And it was also signed. It was also a signature I could read. So <laughs> I I <laughs> yeah. was just, I was so happy with it. I just, I love it. So what do you think about that? It's really interesting. And I wish I knew more about graphic design because there's some really interesting conclusions to draw about the different covers. And it's not universally, or at least for me personally, it's not universally that British covers are better or American covers are better. It kind of depends a lot mm-hmm. on a book by book, honestly. It's not even a genre thing. Although if you since you read a lot of crime and thrillers, you you may have noticed the covers are really different for that. They're like the font big and blocky on UK thrillers, even more so than US thrillers. But yeah, I often prefer the American cover. Yeah, for example, Beth O'Leary has a book coming out this summer called The No Show, and I love the American cover. It's just really fun and quirky. One Day in December, which is another one that came out a few years ago, mm-hmm. the American cover is beautiful. It's got like it's got a London bus on it and like little things like that. And it's just a beautiful cover. The British cover is like a white cover with two people kissing in under an umbrella that could be anyone, could be any book. And I'm just (laughs) just like, why, why? Like the American cover is so much better. Uh, Also, I'm a very tactile person and American covers, I don't know the word for this. So if anyone out there knows the word for this, please tell me. But some American covers have this kind of roughness to them when you like stroke the cover. I'm sorry, I'm a weirdo. I like to do that. And uh, British books don't have that. 
And I love that feel. And I think when I moved here, it was more of a like, oh, this is new. This is what American American covers feel like. I'm in America now. This is so cool. But but now, <laughs> even now the novelty's worn off. I'm still like, I just love the feel of that. So anyway, sorry. That's <laughs> oh, you're you're among friends here. Trust. We uh-huh. we have weird book opinions too <laughs> that are that are fringe, <laughs> but we're like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> But then other times I much prefer the British cover. So the book Ariadne, which is a Greek myth retelling mm-hmm. by Jennifer Saint, the British cover is absolutely gorgeous. It's like got shiny gold on it. And it's just, it twinkles when you turn it around. I made a TikTok about it because it was just so beautiful. The American cover is just, meh, it's just boring. I mean, <laughs> it looks, it looks like what it is. It's, some, you know, it, you can tell it's mythology or whatever, but it's just not that interesting. And then we mentioned Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine earlier. And the American cover is like, I think this isn't as much a thing anymore, but when it was published, women with their heads chopped off was a big thing on book covers. Um, (laughs) And she's another one of those. And like just a woman and you just see like, uh, you know, up to her chin basically could be about anything. The British cover is much more specific to the story. It's a house made of matchsticks. But as a British friend of mine pointed out to me recently, that is actually a bit of a spoiler. So I guess the American one avoids the spoileriness of it. But it also could be about any woman and any story. And so it's just really interesting to me. And then sometimes it's the exact same cover, but in a different color. And you're like, okay, why? Why did this (laughs) need to be in a different color? Was it just to be different? Like everything I know about love by Dolly Alderson, which was huge in the UK, it's orange in the UK or yellow in paperback, orange in hardback. And here it's blue. I'm like, okay, why? Why? I don't know. But a graphic (laughs) designer probably does know why. I just don't. Yeah, you bring up a good point with spoilers on covers because sometimes, like there was a thriller I read last summer. I don't want to like, I guess I don't want to say it because I don't want to spoil the book, but I was looking at it and I'm like, um, that is literally what happens. This is the twist. You're showing it on the cover. And if you haven't read the book, you wouldn't catch it. But I'm like, this is the, this is the, twist right here. <laughs> Why are you showing this to us? I'll tell you later if you want. But yeah, it's it's I, I definitely get what you mean with with that. So okay, I want to know, we are obviously so fascinated by your job as a bookseller. What are your top books to hand sell at the bookstore? Okay, so I guess the first question is you want me to focus on the British books or just generally what I'm hand selling? Generally, I think, I think right? generally. I think, yeah, yeah, I, think yeah. I think generally. Um, so, and I do hand sell a lot of British books and I think we're going to get into that, that, you know, if I'm not going to hand sell them, no one else is going to. So really, <laughs> I'm on a one woman mission. Why don't you separate? First start with what do you generally hand sell and then tell us what, what British books you really like to hand sell. The number one book that I've been hand selling for probably at this point, the best part of a year called Mary Jane by Jessica Anya Blau. I don't know if you guys have read that one. Yeah, I have it. Um, I have an audio copy, but I haven't read it or listened to it. It's one of the few books that I would classify as uplit that isn't actually British. When I'm like, hey, what can I think of that isn't British? I'm like, yeah, this one. It's about a young girl who spends her summer. She's from a very conservative family. It's 1970s Baltimore. And she spends her summer working for a family of doctors. Her parents are very pleased that she's worked for this respectable summer job, except that the doctors turn out to be psychiatrists and they're help, helping a rock star get sober. And so she is suddenly plunged into this universe that is completely different from the one that she, she grew up in. And she learns a lot about herself and she's nannying their little girl. That's what she's doing, working for them. And so there's all this love between her and the little girl. She teaches them to like eat properly as well. So it's not just like a one-way thing. And she learns about singing and 
you know, being, being spontaneous and being outwardly loving. And there are a lot of ways this exact same plot could have been a dark and creepy thriller, but this is in fact a joy-filled, just warm, touching, moving book. I could not put it down. And, and during pandemic times, there've been a lot of, it's been hard for me to find books that completely absorb me. And that one definitely does. So that's like my number one hand sell. If someone's like, what's your favorite book? I'm like this one right here. I mean, it kind of depends on what they say, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. it's that one. That's one of the ones that I actually, Nick Hornby, who's a big British author, really loves that book too. So there's the, there's the Britlet connection with that one. Okay. The British ones. So uh, I actually even had a dream about this one because I'm so frustrated (laughs) that nobody will believe me and read it. But there's a book called Mornings with Rosemary by Libby Page. And it is about, in the UK, it had a different title. It was called The Lido. And the Lido is an outdoor swimming pool, usually unheated, which in the UK is a big deal because it's not that warm outside. So unheated <laughs> pool is not for the faint-hearted. And it's about a pool that is being threatened with closure and the young journalist and an older widow who get together to try and save it. And it's about their friendship and it's about the whole community coming together to try and save this pool. And it's about the love of swimming. And it is just a hug in a book. I absolutely love it. It is definitely one of the biggest uplit titles. It was published probably about five years ago and it is still mentioned all the time in Facebook groups when people are like, what can I read that's warm and, and you know, going to make me feel better about life? I'm like, this book. And I'm not always <laughs> the person that says it either. It's like other people. Yeah. And so I think the morning after you and I were emailing, I woke up and I was like, I had had a dream about trying to hand sell this thing and no one will buy it from me. I don't know why. And it's very frustrating. I was talking to somebody about it recently and they said, maybe it's because one of the main characters is older. And so with all the characters with animals, you're like, oh, I can see something coming that I might not want to read. Um, So maybe that's why people don't want to pick it up, but it is it's so good. I just like, I will make this book a bestseller if this last thing I do. <laughs> I love your passion for it. I know, I do too. I've, you've definitely got me curious now. And then another book, also on the uplit kind of thing. And this might surprise you that it's a British book, but it's The Bookish Life of Nina Hill, which I think you've discussed on the show before. I have read it. I don't think I brought it to the show, but I have read it. We might have mentioned it in passing. But I liked it. That was one that I did like. Mm -hmm. And Abby Waxman, who wrote it, is British. She's lived in LA for a long time, but she is British. Mm. And when you know that and you are British and you can pick up on certain cues, there is definitely something about her humor and her warmth and very slight turns of phrase that you're like, yeah, I can tell that you're British. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) that is a big hug in a book. That one is about a young woman who works in a bookstore, which sounds a lot like the bookstore I work in, to be honest. And she discovers she has a family that she didn't know about. And it's partly about that, but it's partly about she's very introverted. Her life is very ordered. And then suddenly she has this new family. She also like meets a guy she likes. She has this trivia night that she goes to every week with her friends and they're trying to win a competition. So it's about lots of different things, but it's just really warm and lovely. And yeah, when people ask for a happy book, it's also bright yellow, which is kind of a happy thing to have on your bookshelves. That is a happy book. And I love the like anytime somebody works in a bookshop, I'm like, "Hmm, I could probably read that. (laughs) Like it's always a, it's kind of a hook for me. Are there any British books that just don't sell well here, no matter how much you try to hand sell them? So Mornings with Rosemary is definitely the top one on that one. There's a book I absolutely love, and it's not a new book. It's kind of a modern British classic, which is called The Diary or The Secret Diary of Adrian Moll, aged 13 and three quarters. People sort of Gen X, young Gen Xers, basically this hit them at exactly the right point as teenagers. 
and I liked it as a teenager. I like it a lot more as an adult because it's basically about this kid growing up in the 80s in Thatcherite Britain. And his problems are like, I have a spot and the girl I like doesn't like me and my parents are divorcing. But he's a kid. And so there's all this stuff he doesn't know about life. That as an adult, you're reading it and you're like, this is so funny. Like, because not only am I cringing for my younger self, I'm also seeing it from your parents' perspective you know, when you're talking about them and it's a diet, it's in a diary form. So that makes it easy to pick up if you, you're having trouble concentrating. But the problem is that it's marketed as young adult. And I know very few American young adults who want to read about a boy in 1980s Britain struggling with things that some of which are universal, many of which are universal, but it doesn't seem like they're going to be when they pick it up. It is much more book for adults and it is a book for teenagers. And I try, I finally got us to stock it at the shop and I hand sold both copies eventually, but I don't think they're ever coming back. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I love this book. If you're looking for a feel good, funny read, if you're ever feeling ill and you just need something you can read without, you know, without having to work too hard for the laughs and the feel good. I love that. Those are my two major ones that I can keep going, but I don't know if we're running out of time. (laughs) No, that's good. Okay. And so we'll wrap things up. Claire, I know you're an author. Do you want to tell us about your two books? Yeah, sure. So my first book, Unscripted, came out in 2019. And it's about a young woman with a celebrity crush on an American actor. And she's decided that she's going to write a book and basically base the character on him and then find a way to get him the book. And then he'll fall in love with her because he'll read it. And so that's her plan. And she does get to meet him. I will say that. Otherwise, it's not much of a book. Um, But I can't tell you more than that without spoiling it. So it's kind of about celebrity crushes and fame, friendship, and about what it takes to really know someone. And it's kind of heavily inspired by my love of the West Wing. If you do a tiny bit of Googling, you can probably figure out which celebrity crush I also have that might have inspired it. Um, (laughs) So yeah, that's unscripted and it came out in 2019. I'm very proud of it. It did not get very much buzz. My publisher didn't. It was a British publisher. They didn't put out the paperback in the US. So I had to self-publish the paperback in the US. But yeah, I'm really proud of it. And then the next book I wrote is called Girl Unstrung. And it's actually sort of a sequel in that the actor in question has kids and his eldest kid, two years later, she's 14. She's a viola player and she wants to get into art school. Um, And so that's kind of her main focus in life. But then she also meets a boy that she likes and that kind of distracts her and throws her off a bit. That came out in November. And I'm very proud of that one too. So yeah, those are my two novels. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. And I want to say I have gotten a copy of your book and I'm ashamed to say that it's somewhere and I really want to read it. I'm unstrung. Like I can picture the cover of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what this is. So I'm going to have to unearth it, find it and and take a look because it sounds so good. I love, like I said, I love stories about, you know, famous people and the commoners (laughs) that fall in love with them, so to speak. And I'm always in awe of all authors because I'm like, I don't have any ideas in my head at all. I, I can edit very well, but I just don't think I could ever come up with a a plot for a book. So, yeah. Uh, are you working on anything at the moment, Claire? Uh, yes, although I'm waiting for feedback from somebody who promised to give me feedback. So I'm kind of stuck <laughs> until until <laughs> I get that. But yes, I'm working on a romance novel between two booksellers on Capitol Hill. So um, I oh, mean, fun. it's really fun. Um, it, I wish it could say, I could say it's based in reality. Uh, it's really <laughs> fun. <laughs> we just employed a whole load of people. None of them are hot guys. Oh, um, the worst. Yeah, I'm a little bit sad about that. So 
Yes, it's, it's wish fulfillment, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> but that sounds great. You know, like I said, a bookstore can always get me. And mm-hmm. I was wondering too, you love romance books. So I'm like, yes, it makes sense that you'd want to dabble into that as well. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's get into our book list. I want to share, um, like I said, I'm leading up to, I have two good recommendations, but Claire, do you want yeah. to start and, and share your first Brit lit book that you're bringing today? Yeah, this was so hard because there are so many books I love and that I want everyone to know about. Um, but I am going to talk first about Ordinary People by Diana Evans. This was came out a few years ago and it's about two Black British couples or families, one of them dealing with the new birth of a child and one of them dealing with the death. So they're kind of at, grappling with different issues in life. And it is set against the backdrop of Obama winning election. So it starts off, they're at a party watching t- watching Obama be, you know, the victory happen. And sort of, I guess, like many of us imagining that this was like a brave new world of, you know, racism free, whatever. Um, or maybe they knew better, unlike us clueless white people. But it's kind of an interesting <laughs> take on it. And I actually interviewed Diana Evans for my podcast. And she was talking about she really wanted to write a book about Black, British, middle class, ordinary people like the title is um Mm -hmm. not have it be like a polemic on race but just like these are our lives and it was incredibly well written it's also if you love London especially South London it is really great because the London really comes alive as a city in the book and it also has this kind of interesting element um I don't think this is I don't think this is a spoiler as such but where the house feels like it's coming alive in a weird, creepy way. But like you can read it as either this is oppression that's going on in the character's mind or it's actually magical realism. Um, Mm. I read it, I think, as the former because the book doesn't read as magical realism in general. But it is, yeah, it is really good. It's just about relationships and dynamics and motherhood and marriage and all of those, all of those meaty topics. It's just a beautifully written book. So, yeah, that would be my number one pick, Ordinary People by Diana Evans. Love you sold that. me. I've mm-hmm. never heard of it. It sounds so good. And I'm always looking for books written by diverse authors or with diverse characters that is not necessarily about oppression. They're just about ordinary people living their life and dealing, you know, grappling with different issues. So that sounds like it would definitely fit into my niche. Um, I'm definitely, I put a, a big star by that. So um, you sold me. <laughs> okay. I'm, you know, I'm going to seek out the audio for that and give that a try. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, let me tell you about mine. And mine firmly fits into my (laughs) wheelhouse. Claire, this is not a recommendation for you, I don't think. But (laughs) it is called Woman Last Seen by Adele Parks. And this is the second book I've read by the author just this year. I just discovered her, but she is a new favorite in the world of bingeable thrillers. And she's actually written 21 novels in her 21-year career as an author. And I found that she was one of the best-selling authors of women's fiction in the UK. So yeah, do, are you familiar with her? Yes, I hadn't read her, but I definitely am familiar with her. Gotcha. Yeah, I was like, oh, 21 novels. Like, that is incredible. So the book is about this woman. We <laughs> It really, really opens up in a dark way. You meet Lee, and she is a happily married stepmom of two. And we, we're not meeting her in a typical way. She is literally tied to a bed in a room that she does not recognize. And we come to realize that she is being held captive there. So naturally, her husband, Mark, calls the police and says he knows nothing about where she went and she just went to work and never came home. And then the police do some digging. They're like, oh, okay, well, where does she work? Wait, you don't know the name of the company? And like all of a sudden, things are starting to not add up. 
And then through the eyes of a female detective who's on both cases, we also learn that Kai Jansen is a woman who's also missing. And she is married to a wealthy Dutch businessman named Don, and she vanishes in the same week. And Kai kind of similarly left their luxurious penthouse and never came back. She takes care of her mom a lot. And so Don just thought, oh, okay, she's, you know, just being held over, whatever. He's getting these random texts for her. And the detective is like, okay, something is up. She knows people disappear all the time. Women especially disappear far too often. Sometimes it's of their own volition. Sometimes it's definitely not of their own volition. Sometimes we never find out what happened. But even though these two women are from very different worlds, she kind of realizes, okay, I think these disappearances are connected. And she's using her gut. She's using her women's intuition, if you will. Whereas all the other men at the police station are like, no, no, you're just like imagining things. These obviously are not connected. So through alternating timelines, we come to find out if and how they are connected. This one has so many twists. And I would say go into this just looking for pure entertainment If you are analytic, you may be like, okay, really? Like, this doesn't add up. How did this not, how did they not figure (laughs) this, that out? I am not that way. I'm just kind of a reader that lets it wash over me. So again, this was definitely dark, but it was entertaining. I could not stop reading it. And I listened to it actually, and I very much enjoyed the narration. The ending was satisfying for me, and it went in a way I wasn't expecting. And for me, you can't ask for much else from a popcorn thriller. And I think if you can suspend your disbelief, I think it will work. This one is Woman Last Seen by Adele Parks. I always like to file away a good popcorn thriller, so. I I can't quit them. I cannot quit them. When Claire's reading romance (laughs) and like feel-good books, I'm like, okay, oh, she's tied up. Well, how'd she get there? What happened? Uh (laughs) I need to know. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think mine, I don't know. I think it might qualify as a popcorn thriller, but we'll see. It's The Heights by Louise Candish. This is a new release. I did listen to this one. Audio was excellent. And really, this is a very short synopsis, but it's all I needed to pick this one up. One afternoon in a high-rise apartment building in London, a woman is standing at the window of the flat, a flat, directly opposite a rooftop apartment. When she sees a man at that rooftop apartment, a man she'd recognize anywhere. He may be older now, but it's definitely him. But that can't be because he's been dead for over two years. She knows this for a fact because she's the one who killed him. And that is the start of the story. This is a story of revenge. And it's the story of a family, um, really a mother, especially. She's the main narrator. And Ellen is the mother to Lucas, a teenage boy, and Freya, his younger sister. And the story is told in four parts, starting with that opening scene, but then going back to the setup of how a teenage boy named Kieran entered their lives and why Ellen hated him so much. Ellen was a very intense character. She was a very intense mother. Some may say, I I think it's probably appropriate to say, helicopter mom to the nth degree. She also suffers from a really interesting phenomenon called high place phenomenon, which I'd never heard of, but I always appreciate something that's going to take me on a Google search. And that is the urge to jump from high places, which I'd never heard of, but it's actually a real condition, but very rare. 
So you have all this going on with Ellen. She slowly begins to unravel as her son becomes more entangled with Kieran until one particular event leads to tragedy. And from there, Ellen's decisions may come back to haunt her. And I will say everyone in this story outside of Freya is pretty unlikable. Uh, I mean, and it didn't bother me, but Ellen is definitely unlikable. But still, I was kind of fascinated by her. I was so into the story. This is one of those stories that takes off and it gets you going and it keeps you going. But for me, and this, Tina, you mentioned this, and I do have this problem. I reached a point where I became too analytical and things started to, I, I kept saying, well, that's that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I got too wrapped <laughs> up in in that instead of just letting the story go because things happen. And I don't know, it just, it reached a point of too much, but I, I don't know, but I listened, I was into it and I highly suggest not reading any reviews. Like if this sounds good, jump right in. And I do think, I really, really think that this could be a great book club pick, especially if you have a group of parents with middle and high school kids, <laughs> um, because the issues that are brought up in this book, as far as co-parenting, there's quite a lot of other characters. There's there's the father of Lucas, and then there's her. There's Ellen's current husband, and you have a lot of issues around parents trying to be the cool parents and. What does that look like and what can that lead to? And I just think this would make with for a really interesting conversation. Kieran is a foster kid and Ellen had pre-existing thoughts about him based on that. And there's a lot to pick apart with this story. And um, overall, I enjoyed it. And you definitely have to suspend disbelief and you definitely have to be interested in a revenge type theme. So that's The Heights by Louise Candish. I like this author. I read, I've tried two of her books. I liked Our House. I DNF'd those people on the train. Wait, what's it called? Oh, The Other Passenger on the, The Other Passenger. <laughs> yes, I DNF'd The Other, I DNF'd The Other Passenger. I just, yeah, but I'm always intrigued. She has like a, a lot of unique plots that I'm like, hmm, I think this could be really good. So I'm glad you vetted that one for me. <laughs> yeah, I I this is my first book by her. You know, I'll be like you, Tina. I'm not gonna I'm not really interested in her backlist. I'm gonna read her front list moving forward. Uh-huh. I think story I story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So um Claire, you're up again. What's your second book? Yes, so very different from both of those books. Um <laughs> And a book that needs so much more love because it is so, so good. It's called He Will Be Mine, and it's by Kirsty Greenwood. And it is has a lot of similar themes to my book, Unscripted. So it's no surprise I loved it. No surprise that I, you know, want other people to read it. I actually read it when I got my vaccine and I was feeling like crap. And I was like, great, I'm like sick enough to not have to work, but not so sick that I can't <laughs> read. And it just, I just was able to just lie down and just read it in two days. And it was wonderful. It's about a young woman in the UK and she is still getting over the loss of her mom sometime back. So it's not a fresh raw grief, but it's still kind of informing a lot of her 
decisions and a lot of how she feels about life. She goes to the movies with, I think with her sister, she goes to the movies and she sees this actor on screen and she's like, this is it. This is my future husband. This is who I should be marrying. And she like goes off on this big obsession and her sister is like, you are completely crazy, but you're not going to get this idea out of your head. So here, have some money. This is a plane ticket to LA. Go there, get this, you know, get this out of your head, basically. Like, knock yourself out trying to find this actor and trying to fall in love with him because it's not going to happen. You'll realize this. You'll get the therapy you need. And then we can, like, start from there. Um, So she does it. She goes to L.A. She goes to stay with a friend that she met online on, like, um, it's either a fan fiction forum or some kind of fandom forum for novels that she really loves. So that part of the story is really interesting too. If you've ever been part of a fandom, it's kind of cool to see that show up in a book. And that also kind of explains how a random person in England can possibly have a friend in LA to go and (laughs) stay with. And yeah, and so she goes on these adventures to try and find this guy and try and get together with him. And it is so well-written. It's really emotionally intelligent. As as someone myself who's had a pretty severe celebrity crush that my friends think I'm a little bit crazy sometimes, it's kind of nice, A, to be seen and B, to see character grappling with that, but also people in her life grappling with that with different opinions about, you know, ranging from you are totally crazy to like, ah, maybe you're not crazy. Um, <laughs> and it is just, it's very LA too. Like, again, I was reading it yeah, one of the most pandemic-y points in the last couple of couple of years when I wasn't able to travel or go to California. So it was nice to kind of read. It was a, I could like practically smell the sun cream and the like hear the waves oh. I was reading about LA and Santa Monica and things like that. And yeah, so that's He Will Be Mine by Kirsty Greenwood. I think she has lots of other books as well. That's the only one I've read. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I'm on a mission to get everyone to read it as well. Okay. You know what my first thought is? Claire, you have to be so good at your job because I want both of the books you just talked about. <laughs> like I want them. I I'm like thinking, oh, okay, I'm gonna get that too. <laughs> yeah, you're really you're really Yay. good at selling books. <laughs> yeah, you really are good. You were really good. And I was doing the same thing. I am going to LA next month. I'm like so excited. And I was literally looking for a book that was set. I, I don't know LA at all, but it, like the South Pier kind of, I think it's the Santa Monica area. So I'm like, oh, got it. Check. I took a screenshot of this book. I'm going to go try and find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, also, it. I'm really happy that our listeners are getting um, a variety of of yes. uplit and some yes. romance because they're not getting that from Tina and I today. I don't no. think, I don't know what your next Typically book is, not. but you'll tell us. Yeah. So speaking of like, we have such a diversity in picks on this show. I'm actually getting so jazzed about it because mine is speculative fiction. Stay with me folks. Okay. Cause this okay. is my five-star read. This is tell me an ending by Joe Harkin. <sighs> And I alternated between print and audio on this book. The cover is stunning. I have it right with me. It's right here. And it's so pretty. You know I love a book if I bring it with me to record. <laughs> I don't do it very yeah. often. But I'm like, I want it in my lap while I'm recording and to you know have it handy. So this one, again, I alternated between print and audio. And I think this could be, not to overstate things, it could be one of my favorite of the year. And I picked this. The author lives in Berkshire, England. And this is her first novel, although I do think she has some other books under a different name, like under a pen name. I don't know that this will be for everybody, but for those like me who it is for, it worked extremely well. 
It's kind of dystopian. And what it's about is this tech company that deletes unwanted memories. And basically, people can go into this company and request that something traumatic can be deleted. And it grapples with the morality of it, the consequences for those who have this procedure done. And then there's this dissenting doctor who kind of has almost a change of heart and tries to figure out what's going on because she's like, I think something fishy is happening here. Think the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind with a dash of the movie Vanilla Sky, and you're there. Like, that is what this book is for sure. Mm -hmm. And actually, in the book, she does a nod to the character Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I was like, so she knows. I think the author knows that this was inspired in part by that. So it's told in four parts, and it opens with Noor. She's the doctor. She's the psychologist at this company called Nepenthe, who works with clients who've had this particular memory of theirs deleted. And she starts to get the feeling something's up. And so her boss, who she's very close to, she's kind of her mentor, comes to her and asks her to log in with her credentials. And she wants to check some client's information. And Nora's like, all right, this is weird. She kind of backtracks and figures out what her boss was looking at. And she wants to know what's going on. Then you meet May. And she is a troubled grad school dropout from Malaysia who's had this procedure done. And she's grappling with that. There's two types of patients. There are those that know that they've had this done. And then there are no, those that don't know that they've had this done. They don't remember. And that kind of was a part of their package was that the memory of even having it done was deleted. But May is kind of figuring out something's missing. There's a chunk of time missing. And she starts to realize that she's had this procedure done. You also have William. He's a former police inspector who struggles with PTSD. Oscar, a handsome young man. And he's had his whole memory wiped. He has no clue who he is. He's still very smart, but he's like got no background and he's on the run because he feels like some people are chasing him. And then Finn, who is an Irish architect who suspects his wife is having an affair. My one critique with this is one of those perspectives I could have done fully without. <laughs> I did not need <laughs> the perspective. Not that it was bad. It just, there was a lot going on. And I'm like, okay, I think the majority of the stories with these four characters versus this other one. So it's speculative. And this book explores what it would be like if we could wipe away our worst moments. It's about memory. It's about what makes a person. It's about morality. And honestly, not to overstate things, it's about the meaning of life. It's very existential. And you kind of sit there. It's also quite funny and very readable. Like, it sounds like it would be one of those books, oh, Lord, this is going to be, I have to pay close attention to. But it really wasn't. I Like I said, I alternated between print and audio. And sometimes I would find that the audio was a little lagging from where I already was in the story. And I didn't care because I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me this part again. I want to hear it on audio, you know, even though I already read it. It's very existential. And it made me think about memory and what would you do if you had the opportunity to have a part of your memory removed? Would you take it? And if you chose to, what would happen if you were offered the chance to get it back? I love this book. I really did, you guys. And I can't figure out why I haven't heard more about it. It did just come out in March. I think this would be great for book club. That said, check triggers because it is dark. There's certain areas. I mean, obviously, right? There's people that have had trauma that are getting parts of their memory erased. And we do find out what happened to them. This book made me think. It made me feel. I loved it. And this is Tell Me an Ending by Joe Harkin. Wow. I love this book. I'm so glad I got to share it. (laughs) I and you know what? I wonder I would not have thought that maybe you would like something so existential. So that's that's good for me to file away. 
Mm-hmm. Because the reason I like this, it's not what would have happened in another life. There's a science to it, and it's this mm-hmm. happened in real life. So what would that be like? That's my sweet spot. There's okay. a, a science to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, total sense. And yes. she acknowledges, too. She's like, obviously, I've taken some liberties. This technology does not exist <laughs> at this po- at this moment. But it also looks like she's done some research, like in neurology. And I mean, not herself, but she's done the research of those that have done it. And she acknowledges some scientists at the very end, basically saying, listen, I know I took some liberties for the sake of the story. Forgive me. And, and I just thought it was so good. Well, I am bringing one, and I'm very curious if either of you have read this, because I'm very late to the party on this author and this book. It's The One by John Mars. I've read one book by him, The Passengers, but that's it. I didn't even know he was British. Yeah. Well, yes. I hope this is. (laughs) I, I listened to it, and it's British audio. I went with... Okay, so I'll tell you, I didn't even... I didn't even do research because I was talking with Katie at Basic Bees Guide and we were talking about this upcoming episode. And I said, I need, I'm looking for a British thriller, like something that I can just be pulled into. And she suggested this. So I didn't even go fact check that. And like I said, the audio is British. So I, I'm assuming he's British author. Okay, yeah, or- he's in London. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I Googled it. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I was just like, oh, I had no idea. I, okay, I don't, yeah, I'm good. I, like I said, I didn't do any research. I just went with it. As soon as I started listening, I was like, oh, yes. How did I not read this before? So the setup of this is how far would you go to find the one? A simple DNA test is all it takes. Just a quick mouth swab, and soon you'll be matched with your perfect partner, the one you are genetically made for. That's the promise made by Match Your DNA. And the company was founded a decade ago when they announced that they had discovered the gene that pairs each of us with our soulmate. And since then, millions of people around the world have been matched. Now, in this story, five very different people have received the notification that they've been matched. They're each about to meet their one true love. But happily ever after isn't guaranteed for everyone because even soulmates have secrets, and some are more shocking than others. Um, that I remember when this book came out, and I remember that one and I remember reading only that one of the people that gets matched is a serial killer. This book was nuts. It's completely bingeable. Uh, I wrongly assumed when I started that it would be a straightforward story uh, that we would meet the five people and you know they're gonna fall in love. but and I do know one's a serial killer, but um so, but no. The what ends up happening was not in any way straightforward. There were so many twists, some subtle and some big. And I quickly realized that I had no idea where the story was going. And I loved that. I loved that feeling. Uh, of the five couples, you definitely you get background, but you also get real-time happenings on who are these people, what's gonna happen based on who they're matched with. Because what I, I really didn't realize, and I don't want to say too much about it, but some of these people that decide to do their match are people that are already have lives. They're already married. They're already, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. Like, if you do that and 
it can blow up your whole life. So some of them made the choice to do that. And then what happens? Like I said, one is a serial killer. I don't even remember exactly why, but he decided to do this. So what's going to happen to the person he's matched with? It was it was so suspenseful. And also it has that, it's a crazy, a crazy plot line, but it also the writing made it seem like um, this this could happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like no, yeah, but I mean, it felt like it could. It was very, it was very trendy. Um, it was as if you know he took all of the popular dating apps and just put this gigantic spin on it. It was so good. Uh, short chapters, and here's the thing: I was more invested in like dying to find out more about certain people. And couples, but the chapters are so short and they end on cliffhangers usually. So it's like, you're right back with who you're, you know, like it was very fast. I do have to make a note. It was very graphically brutal because remember there is a serial killer and he is active and I read a lot of dark books and I was listening to this and, and I was like, oh, like, I need to fast forward. I cannot, I can't. It was so graphic. It, so if you're, beware. If you are reading it, you could probably skim through that. And I would probably suggest doing it. <laughs> I love this. I love this book. I'm going to go, actually, I'm going to go back and read his other book. And that was the one by John Mars. Oh, yeah. That sounds really good. I know Claire's it's, like, mm, I don't know about the serial killer of it Claire, all. But. Claire, I don't think, I don't think I sold Claire. <laughs> No, well, I love the premise, but not the serial killer part. Yeah, that was tough. But Tina, I think you might like it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it sounds really good. Guys, this is it. I'm a little, I'm sad that we're coming to the end of the show. But Claire, thank you for joining us. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me everywhere. Um, <laughs> TikTok, but I'm not going to tell you because my account isn't great. Uh, but I'm uh, on Twitter at Bookish Claire and on Instagram at Claire and Her Books. All of the Britlet Podcast stuff is at Britlet Podcast everywhere. If you Google my name, Claire Hanscom, I am the only one, I think. I'm certainly the only one on the first 10 pages of Google. So you'll be able to find everything about me there. And you can find my books unscripted and Girl on Strong wherever you get your books as well. Fabulous. Thank you. And we'll link to all of this, of course, in our show notes. Yeah, This was so fun. This was so fun. I love hearing what you had to say. I love your book recommendations. And um, I'm so glad you joined us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great fun. That's it for today. Thank you to Claire. And we thank you for listening to us and spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our podcast out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to etc. at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at BookTalkEtc on Instagram, Tina at TBRetc, and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. <laughs> oh no, now I'm like, what am, what am I going to say that's going to make
<laughs> it doesn't matter. You can say literally anything with your accent. We're just like, uh-huh. Yeah, that's I know. Great. That's that true. Really that's so true. Oh, my God. Even when you said your email, the way you'd phrase it, you're like, I'm so gutted. And I was like, oh. I mean, no, like I felt so bad the way that you phrased it. I was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I feel like I'll forgive a lot if you have like a, a good accent. This is why I could never move uh, back because no one, no one thinks my accent's great in English. So. <laughs> You're not impressed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 